Well, they were still talking about this, and we're going to talk about what this is here in just a moment. Well, they were still talking about this. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it. And ate it in their presence. Let's pray again. Father, thanks for the opportunity to gather in this place. There have been uh, some Easter's in recent past that we've not been able to do that. And so this is a good gift to be able to be here, to be together in this way. To celebrate the truth that you are risen. And so I pray for us now as we consider the story today... Maybe we are very familiar with this story. Would you make it new and fresh for us? Maybe we're unfamiliar with this story. Would it make some sense to us today? Maybe we're confused about this story. Would you bring us clarity today? Wherever we are at, God, would you meet us, reveal yourself to us, And as we often say here, would you give us the courage to respond in whatever ways we need to respond this morning? We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Well, one of the things that stands out to me about the Easter story is that the writers of these stories went through basically zero efforts to make the characters in the story look good. The characters in the stories are so raw and unpolished and they just come off, they just don't look great in the stories. If you were to make this story up, wouldn't you want the the people who were there, who were the witnesses to this, who who were seeing this happen in real time and in real life, like wouldn't you want them to come off looking a little bit better? I would. Like if you were to go into a writer's room, that's what you would do, right? You would not put a a group of uh, women who had questionable characters, especially in that culture where the testimony of women was often doubted, you would not put them as the first people to come to the empty tomb. If you were making this story up 2,000 years ago, you wouldn't start with that. And then you wouldn't think anyway that you would have Jesus' closest friends and followers be so surprised at his presence, at his return, at his resurrection. I mean, Jesus had talked about it, you would think that someone would be like, hey, what's up, Jesus? I knew you'd be here. Right? But nobody has this response. Everybody is shocked. No one expects it or is ready for it. None of it is polished or respectable. Now, the scene we're looking at today is one of my, actually one of my favorite resurrection scenes. It begins with this conversation amongst the disciples. The disciples are Jesus' closest friends and followers. Two of them have just had an experience with the resurrected Jesus. They were uh, traveling from one place to another. They were on this road together. They were trying to process what had just happened, which was Jesus' death on a cross. And all of a sudden, this stranger appears and starts walking with them and is explaining to them all the things that had happened. And they're having this amazing conversation. They end up at somebody's house and they sit down at a table. 
Which, by the way, most of what Jesus does uh, from Good Friday on is sit at a table and eat meals with people. That's a really interesting thing to think about. So here they are. They're around a table again. And it's at this moment when they sit down to eat that Jesus breaks bread and the light bulb goes off. And they're like, wait a minute. And then Jesus like disappears. You know, it's just like, what just happened? And and they're like left trying to figure out what is going on. And this is the conversation that they're processing together. This is what they are talking about at the beginning of that scene we're in here in Luke 24. So they're, they're sharing the story. They're trying to figure out what is going on. And then just as quickly as he had disappeared previously, he now appears with them in their midst. And they're startled and frightened. And they think that he's a ghost. Which is not the first time that the disciples have mistaken Jesus for a ghost. Jesus assures them, no, 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 I'm not a ghost. I'm flesh and blood. Look at me. Touch me. Smell me. Maybe, I I don't know. I mean, engage your senses. What are you seeing? It's me. Let's sit down. Let's eat. And Jesus eats a fish with them. Which might seem like one of those weird details. Jesus eating a broiled fish. This is part of the good news. That he comes back fully human, right, in a body, flesh and blood, physical presence with them, the demonstration of his wounds, the meal that he shares with them, there's still this air of uncertainty that hangs in the room, right, that hangs in that scene, this this air of we cannot believe what is happening, this mixture of joy and fear, amazement and doubt. And so my question for us this morning is what do we make of this? What, what, what do we do with this, this, this very raw, unpolished uh, nature in which the first people to experience the resurrected Jesus respond? I want to begin with this. If you are going to explore who Jesus is, his life, his claims, his teaching, if you are going to take following Jesus seriously... Prepare to be surprised. Prepare to be surprised because Jesus is going to subvert your expectations. The resurrection did not come completely out of left field. There was in first century Jewish mindset, there was this hope that someday there'd be this moment called resurrection, that the dead would come back to life, that that was part of God's sort of long-term plan for his creation. They had no conception of it actually happening in real time, in real life, but maybe someday down the road this could happen. So it was sort of there, kind of the public imagination, and then Jesus did talk about it at least three different times in the way that Luke tells the story. And it's interesting because I think at least two, if not all three of those times, he, we see Jesus saying, oh, look, here's how, how it's going to go, guys. We're going to go to Jerusalem. Uh, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be put on trial. I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'm going to come back to life. And each time it, the, it, the writer says the disciples didn't get it. 
They didn't get it. So I guess we have to give them a little bit of credit because they didn't hear it at the time. But there was this general expectation and there were these specific predictions that Jesus has made. But when it does actually happen, they, they have no category for it. They're shocked. Surprise is a feature of the story. It's not a, it's not a bug. It's not a miss. It's a feature of the story. This is actually... Really good news. This is really good news because if God were predictable and comprehensible, wouldn't it be much of a God, right? But the God who surprises, the God who subverts our expectations, this is a God worth believing in. So Jesus subverts our expectations. Jesus is also not super concerned about our doubts. The Greek word that's used here is dialogismus. Dialogismus. Most often it is translated thoughts. This is the only place in the New Testament where it is translated as doubt, which is interesting. And you don't have to be a linguist to understand that this word the, shares a very similar root to the word we get dialogue from. So we might say it this way. The disciples, they are thinking, they are dialoguing. How is this possible? What, what is going on? What is this thing that we've just experienced? Again, we don't have a category for this. How do we make sense of this? Their doubts do not mean that they are unspiritual or that they lack faith. They are dialogismusing, which is a word I made up. They're thinking, questioning, doubting, processing. All of which, all of which are vital to faith. Now certainly we can hide behind our doubts just, by the way, as we can hide in faith, in the appearance of church and doing all the right religious things. We can hide behind our doubts. We can use doubt as an excuse. It can be a way to intellectually mask our fears. But doubt can also be received as a gift. When, when doubt becomes a dialogue between your thoughts and God, your questions and God, that is a beautiful definition of faith. One more thing I think we see in the story. Jesus' greatest proof is his wounds. His proof is his wounds. The proof that he's God in the flesh. That, that he's all these things that he's claimed to be. Uh, 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 the king, the son of God, the savior of the world, the, the Messiah, which was the word that the first century Jews had for the person who would come and who would rescue them. His proof of all of that are his wounds. He doesn't give them a theology lecture or a Bible study or a sermon or a song. He gives them his physical body. It's me. Look, see, body, which bore the scars of a traumatic crucifixion. This is one of the most beautiful things to me about Jesus is he lets the story tell itself. A lot of times we want to add stuff, put extra words in there, make sure everyone is clear and understands that Jesus just lets the story tell itself. You saw, I was on that cross. 
Right? I died. They buried me in that tomb. But I'm back. I'm back. And I'm not a ghost. I'm flesh and blood. I'm eating a fish with you. His greatest proof are his wounds. The wounds are not an unfortunate remnant of what happened to him. The wounds are the story. And that's a cool story, right? This Jesus who lives 2,000 years ago, who taught about this beautiful reality called the kingdom of God, who invited us to live abundantly, who claimed to be God, who died and came back to life. It's a cool story. But our next question this morning is, is it a good story? It's a cool story, but is it a good story? And the reason I ask this question of us today is because there's a lot of things that happen in the name of Jesus that are not good. Are you with me? Is this a good story? What is the good news of Jesus? This is, we talk about this all the time here at Discovery, right? This is our mission, helping people discover the good news of Jesus. What is the good news? What is the good news? Is the good news that Jesus comes in with a magic wand and makes all, all the bad stuff in your life go away? Is the good news that, that Jesus obliterates our past so that we don't have to deal with that stuff anymore? Is the good news of Jesus that he makes all of our dreams come true and life just keeps getting better and better and better? Unfortunately, the answer to those questions is no. Be kind of cool. Maybe some of those things. No. No, the good news of Jesus, expressed very simply and beautifully by the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, the good news of Jesus is this, by his wounds we are healed. By his wounds we are healed. His wounds, which are his greatest proof of who he is, who he claimed to be, what he has done for us. By his wounds, we are healed. The good news of Jesus is that through his death and resurrection, we can be healed. Now, one of the most common words used throughout the Bible to talk about this truth, to express this truth, is the word reconciled. And in English, the word reconciled has a lot of different and interesting definitions. The first one that usually pops up is to restore to friendship or harmony. That's pretty cool. Through his wounds, we can be friends with God. Through his wounds, we can experience harmony. This is what the Old Testament writers call shalom, peace, wholeness, healing, restoration, harmony, friendship with God. Another aspect of reconciliation is to make compatible or consistent. This is what healing does. This is what healing does. It takes these seemingly inconsistent experiences, these, these seemingly inconsistent things, and it makes them consistent. Jesus, through his wounds, makes us compatible with God, consistent within ourselves, and connected to each other. Let me say that one more time. Jesus, through his wounds, makes us compatible with God, consistent within ourselves, and connected to each other. And so this story is good news. 
And I think it's good news for a whole bunch of reasons. I want to just give two dimensions of it. The good news of Jesus' death and resurrection gives us a new way of remembering. A new way of viewing our past. We have this strong tendency to want to bury and hide stuff in our past. But in the process of healing us by his wounds, Jesus gives us a consistent, connected, compatible way to view our past. This in just a moment, when we come to baptisms, we're going to hear the stories. We're going to hear this new way of remembering because of, uh, because of the truth of what Jesus' death and resurrection has done in people's lives. In our lives, right? Giving us this new way to remember. So the good news of Jesus gives us a whole new view of our past. It also gives us a different view of the future. The good news of Jesus' death and resurrection gives us a new way to hope. A new way to hope. It's easy, I think, to look at our worlds and despair. Certainly as a parent, I, I am oftentimes overwhelmed just thinking about the world that my kids are growing up in. And it's easy to lose hope. It's easy to look at our own stuff, our wounds and our bruises. These things can rob us of hope. But what restores our hope? The cross and the empty tomb. Not, not a uh, sort of vapid promise of everything will work out fine. It's a wounded Savior eating a fish, showing you his scars. A new way to hope. As we're healed, as we become more compatible and consistent and connected, as we uh, retell the story of our past and live into this hope, this is not just good news for us, it becomes good news for other people. Right, we become agents of healing in other people's stories. By his wounds we are healed. And this is good news that we share with others. Pastor Rich Velotis writes, your wounds can be redemptively reconfigured. I love that phrase, redemptively reconfigured. We remember in a different way. Our wounds become a source of healing for ourselves and for others. God wastes nothing, not even our deepest pain. I, uh, <clears throat> this year I'm helping coach my daughter's softball team. Uh, 10U Dirt Divas is their team name. Um, 10U is really fun because it's like 8, 9, and 10-year-old girls, and some of them are, uh, have played a little bit and are experienced. Some of them are brand new to the game. But even the ones who are experienced are still learning these very foundational, fundamental skills. One of those skills is the skill of sliding. And we have, uh, here in the 21st century, this, this thing that we bring out onto the practice field. It's like this big pad, and it's got a blanket on it, and it allows the girls to practice their sliding technique in a way that doesn't rip up their pants and their knees. Now, when I, this is going to be a back-in-my-day moment. Back in my day, when we were practicing sliding, we were like on gravel. 
And so by the end of baseball season, my knees would be these like bloody, scabby messes. It was gross, to be honest. And to this day, to this day, there are scars on my knees. There are scars on my knees from playing baseball. On my left thumb, I have a scar from my, I can't remember if I was seven or eight years old, but it was my birthday. And my dad and I were going to go camping in Big Basin, and he bought me a hatchet for my birthday. And so we go, there you go. <laughs> we go camping, and he lets me chop the firewood, and I'm like four swings into that thing, and I nearly chop my thumb off. All right. Uh, that part wasn't very much fun, but what a fun camping trip that I remember to this day. I have a scar on my thumb from that. All right, now, these are the physical scars that we all have. We can tell our stories through our scars. We can tell our stories through our scars. These, when I was in kindergarten, I was an advanced reader. I was in a small class, and, and there was a kid that was repeating kindergarten. And so what my teacher did is pair me with that kid so that they, she could then uh, like work with the rest of the class. Well, in my five-year-old brain, I interpreted this as being singled out, being dumb. There's something wrong with me. And I developed a stutter, and nobody used this language back in 1980, whatever it was. Um, but social anxiety, I had to get pulled out of school. Right, it impacted my learning for years. We have all sorts of scars, physical, that we can show off, but others that are harder to see. We can tell our stories through our scars. Stories about parents that didn't parent us, partners who dumped us, loved ones that we've lost. We can tell our stories through our scars. Again, the tendency that we have is to want to hide these things or minimize these things or pretend like they're not there or, or try to write them out of our story, sometimes in very spiritual ways. But by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, our wounds are healed. A new way to remember and a new way to hope. Strand Coleman writes it this way. Glory and pain sit together in our hearts. Healing and woundedness. Joy and disappointment. Perhaps moving on from something doesn't mean forgetting it or ceasing to experience the dull reminder of its historical fact in our bodies. Someday, he writes, someday our wounds will be fully healed, leaving beautiful scars that remind us of our storied lives. But until then, until then, the presence of our wounds doesn't negate the resurrection that we're experiencing. Do you hear that? The presence of our wounds doesn't negate the resurrection that we're experiencing. They're evidence of the process. They're evidence of the process. This is the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. Now what we're going to do here in a moment is the band's going to come back and, and lead us through a song. We're going to take communion during this. This is a, a very simple but profound meal 
that reminds us of what Jesus has done. It's a representation of his physical body. Right? His body broken, his blood poured out. By his wounds we are healed. As we sing this song and take communion together, our, uh, our folks who are getting baptized are going to be getting ready. And then after uh, we sing this song, um, their stories will play through video. And then we're going to close our time together with worship and celebrating baptisms together. It's pretty awesome. The baptisms happen as we're singing. Um, we uh, are encouraged to cheer, yell, scream, go nuts. We are celebrating friends. We're celebrating. And by the way, if you are, are uh, connected in some way to someone who's, who's um, being ready to take communion, I just have three simple questions for us. Do you need to be healed? Do you need to be healed? Do you need compatibility with God, consistency with self, connection to others? Do you need to be healed by his wounds? We are healed. Receive the gift. Receive the gift of healing through Jesus' death and resurrection. Do you need to be healed? And then do you need a new way to remember and a new way to hope? My prayer for us is that today would be a celebration of the resurrection that happened 2,000 years ago, but also a celebration of the resurrection that is happening in your life, right? The presence of our wounds doesn't negate the resurrection we're experiencing. They're evidence of the process. Will you pray with me? Father, I do just pray over all of us gathered here today that we would know and experience and receive the good news of Jesus, that through his death and resurrection, by his wounds, we are healed. We are made compatible with you, consistent in ourselves, and connected with others. And then, Father, may today be a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, but also the resurrection that we are experiencing in our own lives as our stories are being rewritten and told in a new way. A new way to remember and a new way to hope. God, we give thanks for this and we celebrate this today with you. Amen.